Hey, Courage. How are you? Hello. I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm doing great. Lovely. Yeah. Hi. See little crane dress? Yeah. Yeah. It's got pockets. Of course it fucking does. Fuck you don't yeah. own dresses without pockets, I don't think. Uh, if they're like very tight, then yes, because you can't have like a bulging, tumorous looking thing. <laughs> Because it's like, it's my keys. It's very true, yeah. Unless you have like the weird, they have like that weird like hip pop out sometime on the dresses. That probably yeah. has a technical term that I don't know because I, that's not my industry. Same. But Apologies. a fit and flare, you got a pocket, I'll fuck with you. Fuck yeah. Straight up. Yeah, you uh, had a very tight dress on the other night that was very yeah. glamorous that I don't believe had pockets. No, it was also made in the like 70s or 80s. So that was... Before the invention of pockets? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> They were like, no, you have to carry everything in a purse, goddamn you. Yes. Yes. And because it's the 70s, 80s, it's going to be a crossbody, obviously. I mean, I don't mind a crossbody. I was like, is something wrong with that? A crossbody's like shitty and out of touch now? I don't no, know. No, but it's for an evening dress, a crossbody is weird to me. Yeah, no, you're correct. That's yeah. correct. It's, I feel like it's clutch or anything, which is... Yeah. I love a clutch. You love a clutch. I don't mind a clutch like our Julie Mala clutches because they have a strap on them. However, I've had many a clutch that did not have a strap. And that that is how Amy leaves her purse places. Oh, shit. Yes. On multiple occasions, of course. Well, that sucks. Yeah. Well, I haven't really had that happen. (laughs) That's why I need to like physically strap it across my body because I'm like, otherwise I can't remember to bring this anywhere. I can see that. (laughs) I get that. (laughs) Only if it's a clutch. I'm very, I'm very attentive with all my other bags. Well, I think now's a good time to introduce the show so that you don't think that this is like clutch (laughs) o'clock. It's another fucking horror podcast against all odds. I'm Monique Sanchez. I'm Amy Traden. So what's going on? What have you been up to? Um, nothing much. I dyed a bunch of clothes this week. Oh, shit. very exciting. Yeah. Is what you're wearing a, a product of that? What I'm wearing is a product of this, yes. So I have a very cute, old-school crop. crop tie-dyed shirt that is just, I just did it with pink, so it's all pink tie-dye. It is and so fucking cute, I can't handle my life about it's it. It's pretty cute, and it also matches. Did you, you didn't dye the shoes. Oh, I totally dyed the shoes. Get the fuck out! I had these old, shitty, beat-up white heads that I had, like, destroyed by walking through gross puddles in New York, and so I threw them in a batch of pink dye, and now I have these super cute, light pink little keds that are adorable that match my tie-dyed shirt. I was literally admiring them earlier. Thank I was like, you. oh my God, they're so cute. Thanks. I didn't realize they were your handiwork. I made them. I made them this week. Oh my God. I'm so crafty. Clearly. When I, I want to be. am not at all. <laughs> what did you do this week then? What did I do this week? I worked my tits off. We went to a thing together. We did go to a thing. Yeah. Because it seems that the pattern every time Amy Traden and I hang out is someone's taking their clothes off. It's not us. But we're paying money to see someone else. <laughs> not yet, at least. <laughs> not yet. The, the night has not yeah. gotten that wild. We're always paying to see someone else take off their clothes. And uh, it was fucking great. It was so good. There, Monique and I like, saw some shit. Yeah. Yeah. There is this uh, incredible burlesque dancer named Tansy. Tansy, Tansy, you're amazing. We love you. We're so You're so gorgeous. Oh, my God. So uh, burlesque dancers have like a tagline. Hers is the Elizabeth Taylor burlesque because she fucking looks like Elizabeth Taylor. She's so gorgeous. I literally can't breathe how much I can't handle it. Oh my God. And she's just a delight of a human being. So she started doing this show, uh, this weekly show that it's at like a tea parlor, right? Like a fancy tea parlor that before was like almost like a cotillion etiquette school where like ladies would learn how to like 
walk with a book on their head and all this shit. And so she started doing burlesque dance, like a burlesque show, kind of, once a week there. But she invites a lot of her, like, famous slash friends in the industry, talented friends. friends. And then in the middle of it, she'll be like, oh, so-and-so is here. Why don't you get up and do this thing? And then they'll just improvise whatever it is that their talent is. So it's very much uh, of the vibe of those old Hollywood parties you would hear about all the celebrities being there and just someone like Cole Porter just happened to be there and there just happened to be a piano and he just started playing some shit till like two in the morning. And uh, so it was very much that vibe, which is really cool. But the one... Oh, the winner. The yeah. winner, winner, Hands chicken down. dinner. Yes. Of this crew of misfits that was brought up to just do and a thing. everybody was amazing. So like that is really saying something. Yes. But there like, were no duds in no. the mix. Everyone was incredible. Incredible. Was this guy who was like a mentalist. Yeah. He called himself a mind reader. A mind reader, yes. He did technically, but yes, a mentalist. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how he did it, Monique. It was such oddly specific shit. So specific. It wasn't like, oh, your grandmother died no. So one of them was your biggest fear that yeah. you would be willing to share with the group. And I think that the sequence of events was think of it and then he was going to write it down on a card, put it in an envelope and hand it to another Person. audience member. Yes, correct. And this woman who has volunteered to share her biggest fear goes up in front of the room. And I'm thinking like, okay, if he guesses it, it's going to be like something generic or bears or heights or something like a thing that's very common to be afraid of so he writes it down on this piece of paper what this woman's fear is and it just so happened that writer die nelly was also with us and she was given the envelope for this specific thing for this woman's fear yes and i had kind of seen over nelly's shoulder so i could see the first word and when I saw the first word, I was like, that's weird. What the fuck is what that? What the fuck is that? That's a really weird word to, like, pick. And I was like, all right. I couldn't really see the bottom word. Didn't have my glasses on, of course. <laughs> so he's, he goes to this woman. He's like, all right, what's your what's your fear? And she's like, I have a fear, a rogue wave. I had a bad experience when I was a kid where a wave came over me and I almost drowned. So I've been very afraid my whole life of a rogue wave just like coming out of nowhere and granted drowning in it it's not drowning it's not drowning it's not the ocean it's no a rogue Rogue wave wave is her fear her specific fear and i'm literally no one else has reacted yet but i am sitting at the table and i'm fucking like shaking my head because i am shooketh by this whole fucking thing because i saw, saw the fucking first word and the first word was rogue like there's no mistaking it like it was huge all capital letters printed on the card. And I was like, holy fuck. He nailed it. He got it right. There's no, if you guessed rogue, there's no way he didn't get, get the second the word. second word of wave. So Nellie reads the card to everybody. Everyone else starts freaking out. Like I'm freaking and out. Everyone and everyone looks at the card. It says rogue wave. It says wave. rogue wave. I just, he did even more than that. That was just like an easily explainable. Yeah. Yes. That anecdote. One, the other one I was like too intense to even go into, I feel like. Yeah. It was basically, it was like he had three volunteers. So it's like one, someone who had uh, cash on them. So it's four. So someone had cash on them and he was oh. going to guess the amount. Yes. Someone who had a personal object that someone had given to them that I had a lot one. of yes. meaning to them. 
biggest fear and then a very specific memory. It was like a cherished memory. A cherished memory. And the person that he did the cherished memory to, of course he nailed it. And the guy was like, I don't really know how to take this because I basically haven't really told anyone about this memory. So I don't know how like you know this. And it was like a weirdly innocuous memory. Yes. That it was very dear and meaningful to him, but to just like tell somebody that's what it was would have not really meant anything to anybody. Be like, all right, is that really like that special or that big of a deal? And also it was very random just because it was so personal to the person. I I don't want to call them out. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. But it was also the type of thing like, who the fuck does this? Yeah. Like the memory. I was like, I've never done that in my life. No. And Here's the thing. It was kind of like a like a handy thing. And like my dad's a carpenter. Like I grew up like doing a lot of projects with my dad. And that's never been one of them. Of all of the fucking projects I've ever done with my dad over the course of my life, which has been a lot of them, like that wasn't one of them. It's a very specific household like project that you would do, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And he guessed it. And it he was guessed fucking it. wild. Fucking like no hesitation. It really was crazy i fucking love that shit honestly like i'm i literally I'm sure same devil's advocate of literary devil's advocate he's just reading them and cold like cold reading them warm reading them whatever he knew something how the someone fuck do you how do you rogue read rogue wave? wave it's so specific i don't know monique i don't know it was amazing it was amazing there was a fucking amazing trumpet player. There yeah. was like these uh, phenomenal Who's, brazilian uh, singers oh my god there were so oh. like just, like, we got emotional listening to them, and they were singing another language. I it literally, was so, yes. Oh, my God. It was it was an amazing time. It really was. It was really be- – I really felt like I had stepped back in time. Yeah. And got to experience something that most people who live in this era don't get to experience. Absolutely. And it was one of those, like, fuck, that's why it's New York, baby. Fuck, yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, I'm just realizing, because the days are kind of blending together, I have a new niece. Oh, shit. Congratulations. Thank you. Auntie Very, Monique. I, Auntie Monique strikes so again. Cute. I love it. Yeah. She was born uh, on Saturday morning at like 7.20-something in the morning. Amazing. Cheers. Thank you. To the little baby. Baby Isabella. Isabella. Okay. Yeah. I, was like, I don't know if you wanted to say the name, so I was like, what ah, it's fine. And I could tell we're related because they sent me a picture of right after she was born, and she makes the same face I make when people are trying to wake me up. And uh, <laughs> so I'm like, yep. She is not pleased. And I'm like, same girl. I get it. <laughs> so that's very exciting. There's another another baby in the house. There's another Sanchez. Another I love Sanchez it. lady. Fuck so yeah. Cute. Fuck yeah. We, we need more the world. of those. Yeah, Hell fuck yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's very exciting. Also, one of my closest friends, Nicole Shalmo, starred in this movie ages ago and it's finally being released uh, in the theaters and on demand on August 20th. It's called Risen. The trailer just dropped. It's so good. I literally can't handle my life about it. It's a horror film that has to do with viruses and aliens and (gasps) zombies. It like covers all the fucking bases and it looks so fucking good. Go on YouTube or wherever and look up the Risen trailer, R-I-S-E-N, the one that's most recent because I know there's other movies called Risen. And it's, you know, on all these lists of the, the best trailers of 2021. And it's like movies to watch in 2021. It's so good. I'm so proud of my girl. I can't handle it. 
check it out. And it's a horror podcast, so sometimes it's good to, to deviate from real life horror and just watch imaginary yeah. horror. I so love yeah, that. Check out Risen. Fuck, that sounds so good. That's like, oh my god, it's it checks, so good. Like, all of my boxes. Zombies and aliens and viruses, oh my. I it's love it. It's so good. <gasps> and it's so funny because my friend, she's someone who has a like a very angular face. She has lots of bones oh. in her face. She's like <laughs> Monique, we all have lots of bones in our face. I know, but <laughs> you can see hers. You can't see mine. <laughs> And she's just so stunningly beautiful. And so when I saw the trailer, I called her up. I was like, I can't even text you. I'm like, I'm fucking floored by this trailer. And I'm like, the bones in your face look so good. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm so, 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 so excited and so proud of her. I, like, can't handle it. Check out the trailer. Let us know what you think. I'm certain you guys are going to be fucking obsessed with it because I definitely am. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm looking forward to that. And uh, congratulations to Nicole. Yeah, Nicole. And it's Fuck, amazing. And for those of you who are not in the industry, one, congratulations, you're nailing your life. You made the correct choice. Two, doing things like movies are very anticlimactic in that Nicole filmed this like over five years. Damn. Over, I think it was like over... Th- Two or three years, like five years ago. Wow. Like, and it's just now coming out. Yeah. Because of like, it was filmed in Australia and then it was filmed in Canada. And it was like, and if you don't have like a major movie studio behind it, it's, you know, it's a much more difficult process of like fundraising and getting everything and things always come up and movies are very much a thing that is made. It's, you know, as opposed to theater, it's a very live visceral thing. You do it every night and it's. You know, it's different a little bit every night, but movies and TV, you film it once years ago and then you do the promo and then it gets edited. And then maybe if it doesn't go straight to DVD or whatever, straight to on demand, then you do press for it. It's such a long process yeah. that by the time it comes out and if you're lucky enough to get praise for it, you're like, thanks, I filmed that three years ago. <laughs> onto something I'm new kind now. of like over it. Thanks. Um, yeah. I'm doing I'm literally have filmed four things in in that time. Like and it was to the point that I remember with Nicole she was literally like this thing's never going to fucking come out. Oh. And it, the and it trailer did. It, the trailer go. dropped and it's so oh my like, I literally can't handle how fucking great it looks. Ah, oh, that like, sounds great. And then to be like that's my friend. My friend is the star of this movie. This is so cool. Um, so check it out. Check out the Risen trailer. And then August 20th, I'm sure I'm going to talk your ear off about it between now and then. August 20th, it's going to drop on demand and in theaters. They're still working out which platforms, but that is happening and it's fucking hella exciting. Hell yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Also, I want to plug last podcast on the left. Not that they need my plug. Because they're doing just fine on their own. Yeah, I think they got. I think they got it handled. I think they're okay. I think they're getting by. (laughs) (laughs) They they do all right for themselves. You know, last week they dropped their their latest episode is on the USS Indianapolis. Which, if that's familiar to you, it's probably because in Jaws, uh, Robert Shaw, who plays Quint, famously has a speech where he talks about receiving a shark bite when he was on the USS Indianapolis. And it's the whole 1,100 men went into the water, 300 men came out speech. And he talks about the sharks having like a black eyes, like a doll's, doll's eyes. eyes. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a very famous yeah. speech. So they, do a, they did a whole episode on that incident. And I've been listening to the last podcast for many years. And 
this is one of the best episodes they've ever done. It's wow. fucking incredible. It's informative and well-researched as all of their episodes are. It's gripping and riveting and harrowing. And I cannot recommend it enough. It Damn. was incredible. Okay. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. I'm gonna check that out this week. Yeah. It's a good one. Fuck yeah. While you're cleaning up a forest hills, you can you know, pop yeah. it in. That's what there I used to do. When I would oh. watch, I would like be cleaning forest hills. I would just be listening to podcasts. That's a really good idea. Yeah. I'll do that. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Anything else? No, I'm We're good do, doing some spooky did, shit. I just did my crafts. Crafts and spooky shit. Dude, the Let's crafts. I'm fucking impressed as fuck with these crafts. Thank you. At no I, point did I think you made them. Really? I was, no. I was admiring your shirt and I literally was admiring your sneakers. Oh, hello. Um, The biggest thing. The reason I was admiring her sneakers, not the reason why, I... Hi, words. Welcome. <laughs> coming out of my mouth? Yes. Words coming out of my mouth. We did an interview with the rad as fuck ladies <gasps> yeah, of the we Peony did. podcast. And that is dropping on, I believe, August 5th. 5th, she said, yeah. So, and in the middle of our interview, I looked down and saw your shoes. I was like, fuck, those are super cute. I'm so, the interview was such a fucking blast. It was such so a great time. Fun. Yeah, they're Lex great. and Julia are our new best friends. Amazing, yes. We're, they're total queens. We're completely fucking obsessed. It was just the best time. So that's going to drop August 5th. So definitely check out the Peony podcast and hear us talk more bullshit on another podcast. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Find out how it all began. Exactly. <laughs> on the Peony podcast. Boom. I love that. So with that, I think I think now we have everything covered. Yeah, I think so. Actually, no, that's not true. There's another thing. Oh, Moni. <laughs> I am Surprise. not nailing it today. No, it's fine. Also, I just found out that Dark Valley, oh, shit. which was the, the horror anthology podcast I was yeah. on, was officially selected for the Astoria Film Festival. <gasps> Girl! So, that's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, so that's very exciting. It is exciting. Your episode was fantastic, so I'm not surprised thank at all. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, so just cool shit all around. I Good shit it. all around. Yeah. Good things are happening. More Sanchez ladies. Yeah. Podcasts. Movies. Film festivals. Tie-dye. Tie-dye. That seems less exciting now, but... <laughs> You're not seeing this shirt. I'm. This shirt is cute as fuck. Thank you. I try. No, like, you nailed it. Thanks. I never was like, clearly she made this and this looks like shit, but I'm like, not gonna say anything because, like, it's terrible. No, it is so fucking cute. I can't handle it. Thank you. I'm like a professional level crafter. I don't... <laughs> clearly. I'm super impressed when I, like, cut my straps on a dress and turn into a fucking halter. Like, that's okay. as far as I'm going. That's good. I'll take that. Fuck yeah. I appreciate that you're even entertaining that as a craft. I mean, considering that literally what I did was lay a shirt down and then twist it and then put rubber bands around it, it's not, it's not too crazy. No, it looks great. Thank you. So cute. And the kids are made. I'm assuming they're kids. They are kids. Oh, fuck yeah. I nailed it. I love me some kids. Yeah. They're so cute. Thank you. Yeah, they turned out really well. I'm very excited. Boom. I like to make things last for as long as possible. So, yeah. Yeah. I Sometimes love that. a $6 box of dye will go a long solve, way. Yeah, solve a variety of problems. Oh. I may or may not have bought like three other colors the other day. Fuck yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I've started something clearly. I can't wait to see what's next the next time I come here. <laughs> oh, Monique. <laughs> Just you wait. Yes. Uh, so I think that's all all the the stuffs. Yeah, that's all my my exciting news. Yeah, are you ready? I'm so ready. I can't wait. I'm glad. So first and foremost, 
I feel like we had two back-to-back weeks of aliens because of me. Mm-hmm. So I felt like we needed to go back to a slightly more traditional paranormal story. Yes. And secondly, I realized that as much as we've talked about it, I've never actually covered a celebrity ghost story. Oh, shit! So I'm doing a celebrity ghost story this week, you guys. Oh, my God. You guys, hands are in the air, (laughs) jaws on the floor. I'm so fucking excited. (gasps) Good. I'm glad. Because you know I love me a fucking celebrity ghost story. Who the fuck doesn't? This one is not your typical ghost story, though. Okay. Sources. Obviously, Celebrity Ghost Stories, Season 3, Episode 10, SleepFoundation.org, and Wikipedia. So, our celebrity for our Celebrity Ghost Story of the Week here is Kevin Pollock. Uh Uh-huh. Who all of you should be familiar with, obviously. He's amazing. Yeah. He's amazing. He also, like, is, like, freaky at his impressions and his impersonations. so crazy. Because that's not what he's known for. He's just, like, a serious actor. But, like, and then he'll do, like, the Tonight Show circuit or with the Late Night Circuit. And he does these, like, crazy, like, Christopher Walken impressions. And it's exactly like him. You're like, what the fuck is this? So, in doing the research for this story, I actually read that he's had several podcasts throughout the years. And one of them was a podcast in which he interviewed people as Christopher Walken. And I think it was called, like, Walken and Talkin' or something. Get the fuck one that's the best name for podcast I'm pretty sure it ever. was that, yes. I'm upset that that's not the name of this podcast. <laughs> it was so good. As soon as I read it, I was like, oh, that's actually brilliant. That's really funny. And I would totally listen to that. Oh, yeah. I'm downloading that as soon as we're done it's, recording. Yeah. <laughs> that's incredible. <laughs> so yeah, he's amazing at impressions. If you guys didn't know, if you've only known him as an actor, he's actually an incredible impressionist. Of, yeah. Like a lot of different people. Yeah. So... Kevin Pollock was born on October 30th, 1957 in San Francisco, California. Yep. Right off the bat, he's a Halloween adjacent baby, so... Obsessed. Yeah. Obsessed and red flag number one. (laughs) Something's up there. Yes. So she's going to happen to him. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I know. The actor, comedian, and impressionist is well known for his roles in the films The Usual Suspects, Mm. A Few Good Men, and Casino, and is frequently cast as a quote-unquote... Tough talking guy. Hmm. That was the phrase that celebrity ghost stories used. I don't even really know what that means. Does that mean you just talk tough and you're not really a tough guy? Is this like a wise guy situation? I think that probably means like not here for your shit guy. Okay. When I think of Kevin Pollock, I think of him from the Grumpy Old Men series. <gasps> I actually love that too. I didn't mention that, but like Fuck that yeah. is actually like where I know him from, which Absolutely. is the funniest part. Yes. He's totally. Walter Matthau's son. Yeah. Yes. Ah. Uh, yes. Which, if you haven't seen Grumpy Old Men, even the second one is still great. It's so good. Burgess Meredith, uh, Walter Matthau, Jack Lemon, Lemon, Jack Lemon. Sure. It's not you Jack know Lemon. All That's the names. Different. I don't Jack know Lemon. any of the names. It's so good, and he's in it, and Daryl Hannah too. Like he's like in love I with Daryl Hannah. Fucking forgot she's in it. Yeah, it's so good. Um, continue your story. We don't need to talk about Grumpy Old Men for like ever. <laughs> Even Are though you I sure? absolutely okay. would. <laughs> I was like, we can make this another fucking Grumpy Old Men podcast if you want, Monique. I'm not upset about that. There, Burgess <laughs> Meredith plays like one of the one of their fathers. Like he's like the old, old grumpy man. And he has this saying in the movie that I have I have adopted into my life where someone's saying, like, I wish this thing or whatever the fuck. And he goes, Well, you can wish in one hand 
and crap in the other and see which one gets filled first. <laughs> Fuck, it's incredible. It's really good. I don't I don't know if this applies to Miami really, but like where I grew up in Florida, there's like a lot of sayings. Like yeah, you said have, that. Yeah. That's one of them. No I shit. I remember like growing up with that as a kid. Yeah. I was always shit in one hand and wish in the other and see which one oh. fills up first. But well, I, I think we're a little more vulnerable. Grumpy old men is a PG. Yeah. Probably. I'm literally the only person I know who says that. Really? Yeah. I don't know anyone else who says it. You gotta go to the boonies of Florida, girl. Clearly. Yeah. Do I though? Uh, I don't think no, so. No, you probably don't. <laughs> the uh, the other one that I almost brought up last episode because of the pigs was, um, it's like a lot of the Southern sayings in my experience are like... God adjacent? S- oh. Or devil adjacent? Also, yes. A lot of them in my... <laughs> in my experience, are also, like, kind of just, like, cunty answers to things. It's, like, instead of actually giving you a useful, helpful answer, it's just, like, a shitty thing I can say that's not helpful to you that makes you feel like an asshole for even asking. So (laughs) the one I was thinking of last episode is a response to the question, like, where is so-and-so? Like, where is Billy Bob? And it's, he went to shit and the hogs ate him. Cool. Cool. Exactly. Not helpful. (laughs) Thanks. Like, did you know where he was or not? Because, like, I actually didn't gain anything from that information. Thanks. Okay, thanks. Yeah. That's the South for you. Boom. Great. Back to Kevin Pollock. His most recent work includes Amazon's The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and Showtime's Billions. He uh, isn't fucking Maisel. Yeah. No, literally, when I think of him, it's always Grumpy Old Men. I know. I've seen so much of his work, but I'm like... He's Walter Matthau's kid. He's trying to get with Daryl <laughs> Hannah, but he's too shy. No, he's the um, the main character, Mrs. Maisel's uh, uh, father-in-law. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. he's Mr. Maisel, technically. Yeah. He's her husband's father. Father, yeah. Yes. As I said, he's also hosted a variety of podcasts, the newest of which is called Alchemy This. Now, Kevin knew friends who'd had paranormal experiences and said, quote, I'd always heard about events happening in life to other people who I believed and trusted, but until it happens to you, you really don't know what any of it means, end quote. I'm so obsessed with this. I literally can't <gasps> This is such a it. good story. Okay. And like, to be fair, like a lot of the people on Celebrity Ghost Stories are kind of like D-list. Like, oh, absolutely. Washed up, like haven't done anything in like several years. Like, yeah. When my ex and I used to watch this, well- I would watch it and he'd be in the room. And he was like, celebrity is generous. Very generous. <laughs> he was like, this is like SAG eligible ghost story. Yes. Because when you have to be in a union to make money and there comes a point where you become eligible for SAG, which is a screen actor's guild. So he's like, these people are like SAG eligible. They're not even in the union. Yes. <laughs> However, Kevin Pollock. He's, he's, he's a real legit. deal. Yeah. He's legit as fuck. As I just named a bunch of fucking amazing, fucking well-renowned movies that he's been in. And he's currently in The Marvel's Mrs. Maisel, which if you haven't seen, is a fucking phenomenal show. Yeah. Please go watch it. Also, in the upcoming season. Oh, shit. Yeah. Tansy and Ride or Die, Nellie, are both in it. Fuck yeah. For like several episodes. Because it's they're a- amazing burlesque babes. And yeah. Yeah. So... Keep your eyes peeled for that shit. (gasps) I'm so excited. I can't wait. Fuck yeah. So in the early 1980s, when Kevin Pollock was in his early to mid-20s, years before his career had taken off, he experienced something absolutely terrifying. Oh my God. He said, quote, it still scares the living life out of me when I try to explain what the hell it was. Oh shit. End End quote. 
At the time, he was dating a woman named Sally, who he'd been seeing for about six months. He was quite taken with her and described Sally as an unbelievably sweet and gentle person. Mm. And they'd gotten to the point in their relationship where Kevin would spend most of his nights sleeping at Sally's apartment. Now, Sally was the type of person that as soon as her head hit the pillow, she was immediately asleep. What's that like? Oh my God, right, girl? Like (laughs) two hours of me like tossing and like staring at my phone and getting up and thinking of other things that I need to do. Literally. And this is not a light doze. According to him, this was an instantaneous and very heavy sleep. What is that like? I have no idea. I literally wake up 4,000 times, 3,500 of them are to pee. Yes, correct. Like, a girl. I'm so envious, Sally. You're nailing your life. Right? She was completely out of it and dead to the world as soon as she closed her eyes. Mm. Kevin joked that he was envious and said that it would typically take him 20 minutes to an hour to fall asleep after Sally did. Yeah. Yeah, because that's like a normal person. I mean, yeah. One night while he was sleeping over at her apartment after they'd gone to bed, he was laying there decompressing from the day and trying to fall asleep with Sally already fast asleep next to him when all of a sudden he heard a sound. He said, quote, I couldn't even grasp how to describe what the sound was. It was like hearing whispers coming from the walls, end quote. What the fuck? Creepy, obviously. And he was alarmed because this wasn't the first time he'd spent the night at Sally's and he had never heard anything like that before. So it's not like the walls are really thin and he's always hearing the neighbors. Like, this is clearly out of the norm. Then, as he's listening to these whispers coming from the walls, things got even weirder. Suddenly, an insane, angry voice started coming from Sally. And what Kevin the fuck? was absolutely certain when he said, quote, this was not Sally's voice. <gasps> Full body chills. Oh, my God. Girl. Oh, my God. And to be fair, like, I don't usually, like, get scared at the reenactments because they're usually pretty cheesy. Like, the reenactment of this is, like, kind of terrifying and, like, I didn't feel great afterwards. It was, like, a little scary. Not gonna lie. The voice was shrill, but it wasn't just screaming. It seemed as though it was speaking in an unfamiliar language. (gasps) Despite not understanding any of the words, Kevin was convinced that the quote-unquote nonsense was in fact some sort of language that he wasn't able to comprehend. According to him, the voice coming from Sally seemed to have distinct words and a clear sentence structure, but was otherwise unrecognizable, and he believed she was actually speaking in tongues. Get the fuck out, girl. It's wild. So I definitely have spent the night with fellas, and then they, like, start sleep-talking nonsense. Okay, but I've had Johnny say a few things before, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always just, like, mumbly, yeah, I garbled. Mean, well, in my experience, my ex, I remember once, was like, we never know whose head you have. <laughs> and then went back to bed. And I was like, <laughs> okay. what the fuck? But Creepy. It, but it, I was never like, he's possessed. Yeah. You're just like, oh, he's sleeping. And it was his voice, clearly. It's his voice. Yes. 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 <gasps> oh, my God. So creepy. Kevin knew there was no way this was Sally goofing around because, one, she just wasn't the type of person who would do that. Mm. He'd known her for six months by that point, and he knew she wasn't the prankster type. And two, according to Kevin, it would have been impossible for her to make up this language at the speed and rate with which it was being spoken. Oh, shit. It was too fast and too fluid to be fake. 
Holy shit. He also said that the volume of the voice coming from Sally was so intense that he genuinely couldn't understand how she wasn't waking up from the commotion. Like, that's how intense this is. And the whole time this is happening, the voice is coming from her mouth, she's just lying there on her back, her body completely motionless except for her head. Her eyes were closed, but her face was animated with facial expressions and her mouth was moving rapidly shrieking in that strange tongue. Now, as you can imagine, Kevin was completely freaked out, but had absolutely no idea what to do. He thought about waking her up, but he didn't know if that would even work, and he was worried that it might be detrimental to her or make things even worse. Mm. While he was still debating whether he should try to wake her or not, the voice abruptly stopped. Too terrified to fall asleep, obviously, he spent the rest of the night worrying how the fuck he was going to explain to Sally yeah. what had happened. Like, I can't even imagine. Be like, hey, um, good morning. How was your I, sleep? How'd you sleep? I'm just like, oh, okay, good. Because you were possessed um, by demons. Just yeah, so. Was it comfy like, for you? Screamed in like an unknown language to me last night, NBD. Like, not super cool. I see, that's one of those that I feel like, you know, I'm just gonna act like this didn't happen. Right? And then if it happens the next night, it's like, okay. I don't even think I tell them. I'd be like, um, you know what I think we should do? Uh, I think we should go to church. <laughs> we should start that. That's where we, we should go. start that. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't. How the fuck do you tell your girlfriend this? I can't even imagine. Uh, yeah. I was like, I'm not religious and I might still pull what you do. You just suggest <laughs> be like, oh, we should go to church real quick, though. Like, just, You'll just, just shoot in case. me text and be like, what is the course of action here? Yeah. <laughs> Advice, please be like go steal some holy water put a little squirt gun squirt 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 all right boom okay noted <laughs> <laughs> it's the official vatican response thank you there thank you, you Monique. get a super soaker go to town girl <laughs> she said it i didn't say it the catholic said it i love it <laughs> so by the time morning rolled around he had convinced himself that it was just some strange sleep anomaly and decided that he was just going to let it go. Yeah. He was already freaked out enough and he didn't want to worry Sally unnecessarily, especially since it was clear that she had no recollection of what had happened. Yeah. Or the strange voice she had spoken in while she'd been asleep. Now, I do want to take a moment to talk about sleep talking in general, since that's obviously the most logical, skeptical explanation for what this is. And I feel like we should all have some background before we continue on in the story. Fuck yeah. So sleep talking, formerly known as somniloquy, is a sleep disorder defined by talking during sleep without being aware of it and is one of the most common parasomnias or abnormal behaviors that occur during sleep. Mm. Sleep talking can range from complicated dialogues or monologues to complete gibberish or mumbling. It's common for people to experience at least one episode of sleep talking during their life, but the good news is that for most people, it's a rare and short-lived occurrence. It occurs more often in children and occurs equally in men and women. Mm. Unlike most parasomnias that only occur during specific parts of the sleep cycle, sleep talking can present during both REM and non-REM sleep. A linguistic study of sleep talking found that around half of recorded sleep talking was incomprehensible. Mm. But typically, in these cases, the sleep talking is usually just mumbling or silent speech, which is moving the lips with very limited, if any, noise. Ah. And I did do a little bit of digging trying to find another experience similar to this, but I 
couldn't find any sleep-talking anecdotes where someone spoke very loud, very rapid gibberish continuously for minutes on end. Yeah. Most of the incomprehensible ones, like even ones they have recordings of, they just sound like mumbling or like nonsense. Also, that's something, when you hear someone sleeping mumbling, that's not something that's alarming at all. You're just like, no. oh, okay. Yeah. They're sleep talking. Fine. And even if they're, like, loud enough that you, like, feel like you can catch words, but they're not really saying any real words, you're like, huh, okay. Yeah, it's not remotely noteworthy unless you say some, like, funny shit, like, we never know whose head you have. Yeah. It's like, not like... We need to have a kiki about what the fuck happened last night. Seriously, because you're basically, like, speaking in tongues nonstop, rapid fire. Yeah. In a way that did not seem normal to you mm-hmm. or a thing that you would be capable of doing. So the other half that was comprehensible had a number of parallels to typical conversations. It usually followed conventional grammar and included pauses as if talking with another person. Mm -hmm. Many of the recorded outbursts were negative, exclamatory, or profane, indicating that sleep talking may reflect conflict-driven dialogue taking place in the brain during sleep. Oh. Episodes of sleep talking are typically brief and rarely involve long or drawn out conversations. Mm. For most people, the whole episode may only involve a smattering of words or a few sentences. And while studies have shown that up to 66% of people have experienced episodes of sleep talking at least once during their lives, it occurs relatively infrequently with just 17% of people reporting sleep talking episodes in the last three months. Okay. Even frequent sleep talkers may have to be recorded for several nights before they are able to document an episode. Mm. So, while research has helped clarify the symptoms and consequences of sleep talking, there is still a lot that remains unknown about the causes and treatment of this condition. All right. Now that that's out of the way. Yeah. Back to Sally and Kevin Pollock. AKA, none of that's what's happening. None of that really seems to fit with what's happening. Mm -hmm. Monique is correct. But I want you to have the information. Of course. So that we can't just be like, I mean, obviously she's just talking in her sleep. Like, you don't even know. Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> Please. <laughs> we do our due diligence here. I try. We try. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I mean, my first source is celebrity ghost stories. So I had to like. <laughs> We're clearly on the up and up. <laughs> I had to like do some, some research, some scholarly uh, pursuits here. <laughs> so like I said before, he decided that this incident was just a one-off and he was going to let it go and not tell Sally about this strange voice that had come out of her while she was sleeping. He honestly didn't want to spend any more time thinking about it. But despite his best efforts, it was impossible for him to forget about the Mm. incident. It had been so bizarre and jarring that afterward, he had trouble falling asleep and he really wasn't sleeping well because every time he laid down to go to sleep, he was anxious and expecting the voice to return at any minute. I mean, yeah. Of course. I'd be like, I'm going to sleep in my apartment for the week. Okay, thanks. I hope you don't tell me that he broke up with her because of this, because that sucks. Uh, Oh, shit. Okay. TBD, I guess. Things were quiet in the days immediately after, and a week of fitful sleep went by for Kevin before the voice finally returned. (gasps) That night, the two went to bed as usual. Sally fell asleep right away, of course. And again, Kevin was just laying there decompressing and trying to relax. About 30 minutes after they laid down, the strange voice suddenly started up again. It was just the same as before, with Sally rapidly speaking an unknown language in a shrill voice that did not seem like her own. He said, quote, she was intense, (gasps) scary as hell. Holy fuck. End quote. 
Terrified, he turned on the light, hoping that might wake Sally, but the voice continued uninterrupted. With the lights on, he could tell that Sally was still clearly asleep with her eyes closed and utterly unaware of what was happening to her. She didn't respond to the volume of her voice or the lights turning on and was completely oblivious to her surroundings. Kevin said, quote, It became instantly clear to me that whatever was coming through her is, without question, a separate wholly separate entity that I am not sure is friendly, end quote. Holy shit. He is so serious during this. Like, he is not taking this lightly. This is not a joke at all for him. I mean, my jaw has been on the floor for most of this, so that's, if I'm not responding, that's why. Girl, this is one of my fucking favorite celebrity ghost stories. Because, like, most of them are just like, I went to a hotel and, like, I saw a whatever. Yeah. I had to have watched this episode, but I'm so not remembering. There's so many. And there's like, when you think about it, there's like four celebrities, usually an episode. And there's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, it's so many of them. Yeah. It was the same thing with your Fred Dreyer one. Yeah. You told that I was like, I must have watched this episode and I did not remember anything about it. And that one was like very memorable. Yeah. Very intense. Yeah. So it doesn't surprise me. They all like blur together. Yeah, for sure. So not knowing what else to do besides watch and wait, Kevin reported that Sally spoke nonstop for at least an hour. Get the fuck out. In that same terrifying voice. Can you imagine an hour? That's. I would have left. Absolutely insane. I would have been like, sorry, Tuts, I'm out. Girl, same. No hesitation. And like I said earlier, most sleep talking is a handful of words or a few sentences on rare occasions. You might get a like, quote unquote, monologue, but. Even then, they're typically spoken in, like, the person's speech pattern with their voice and their speed of talking. Like, it's not this strange, shrill voice that's just babbling nonsense, just rapid fire, nonstop. Yeah. For an hour. I I just can't. I could not get over that when he said it. Like, I don't know how he fucking stayed there. I would have rolled. I would have dipped the fuck out. Same. I would have I would have found a Radio Shack or a Circuit City. I would have gotten a recorder, so not not the like not the thing we get in fourth grade to learn like chopsticks or whatever the fuck <laughs> that fake ass hot, hot cross bun. Yes, that's the song. <laughs> that is the song everyone knows. That's amazing. Hot cross buns. <laughs> no, but like something to record this shit. I'm like, if she's I'm. There's no way I would have put up with that shit for an hour. I would oh roll the fuck God. out. I would have been like, I'm so sorry. I had diarrhea and felt weird and shitting in your apartment. <laughs> I, I don't know. I would have literally made anything. Anything and caught the anything. fuck out of there. Kevin admitted that he was the most freaked out that he had ever been in his life. Which, yes. Yeah. That is the only fucking response, Kevin. Yeah. After the second incident, though, he realized he couldn't just chalk this up to a one-time thing and that he had to tell Sally about Mm. what happened. Oh, shit. So the next morning, he sat down, he told her about the two experiences, and he asked if anything like this had happened or been reported to her before. Sally was obviously taken aback by what Kevin had told her, but she said no, that to her knowledge, nothing like this had ever happened before, and if it had, no one had said anything to her about it. While she was disturbed by the information, she was not at all dismissive of what he had told her, and even said that she had been told before Get that the she fuck was out. in touch with spirits. <gasps> Which, 
wouldn't come for me at all. And it obviously wasn't comforting to Sally either because she was starting to get a little freaked out by this whole situation. I mean, okay. So like you are going to sleep with your boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. And they're like, hi, um, hate to bring this up. (laughs) By the way. By the by. How the fuck do you even take that news? I, I have no idea. Because it's not like. Could you not leave your dirty socks like around I was like, the apartment? I'll like, just, what do you like, do sleep. about it? Yeah, I was like, I won't sleep because that's disruptive. What to is you. the course of action you do to stop that? <sighs> that's a very good question. I don't know. I'm freaked out. I'm freaked out. Yeah. You can imagine how Kevin feels. Clearly, he's yeah. freaked the fuck out. He's freaked the fuck out. Yeah. He's kind of like you where he's like, I kind of want out of this situation, but like, I really like this girl. Like, right. everything was going great. And now, like, this thing is happening that. I kind of don't want to deal with it. That's why you need a family priest. There Call you go. Call up and be like, yo. Get over here. What the fuck? Do house calls? Up in this bitch. I'll get you. I'll, I'll set up a potluck for you. Fuck yeah. After the exorcism. There you go. Wings for days. <laughs> that's all they want. Wings in a casserole. Who doesn't, who doesn't love an exorcism and a little wings? Let's do this. I mean, come on. Girl. They it's a perfect Saturday. Nicely. Yeah. <laughs> Like I said, Kevin was absolutely crazy about her and he wanted to keep dating her, but he admitted that he was also genuinely afraid for Sally because he realized this was now a part of Sally, that if he continued to date her, there was a very good chance that he would have to live with Sally, scaring the bejesus out of him on a regular basis with this terrifying voice. Also, like... It's not like you're on the couch just hanging out when she does it. You're trying to fucking fall asleep and she does it. And also being asleep is the most vulnerable you you ever are. are. Yes. And despite how much Kevin liked her, he knew that living like that was just no way to go on. And he was worried that they wouldn't be able to continue their relationship long term. Oof. Literally, because of this. Like, that's how intense and intense and detrimental this is to his sanity. Like, he is literally about to break up with this girl that he's crazy about because of how crazy this is. That's wild. Man. Yeah. Still incredibly disturbed by what had happened and wanting Sally to understand what he was going through, he decided he was going to try to record it. Yes. So someone else could, quote, experience that abject, bizarre nature of this entity, end quote. Oh my god, I'm so here for this. So, he got a little recorder, and he put it in the bedside table at Sally's place in preparation for the next time the voice appeared. Mm. Five or six nights later, the voice returned, and Kevin had the opportunity he had been waiting for. (gasps) Sally had only been asleep for about ten minutes, when again, she began to rapidly speak in that same unrecognizable language, her eyes closed, her body completely still. After a few minutes, he reached over to grab the reporter from the bedside table and held it up to Sally. But as soon as he pressed the record button, it's the didn't voice work. stopped. <gasps> oh, sneaky fuck. Quote, unquote, on a dime, according to Kevin. It knew it was being recorded. It that sneaky fuck. knew it was being recorded. <gasps> Kevin said, quote, it had been yammering nonstop, intensely, freaky scary for a good four or five minutes. I hold up a recorder, it stops, end quote. And he was freaked the fuck out because he could clearly see Sally's eyes were closed this whole time. Yeah, she's not doing it. Not doing it. 
But it seemed as though she had seen the recorder and stopped talking. Mm. However, that clearly wasn't possible. He knew it was bizarre that the voice had suddenly stopped and said, quote, it's scaring the hell out of me that it stopped, end quote. But again, he's determined to get a recording of this unfamiliar voice. Minutes went by, nothing. Still recording, he waited there, frozen and terrified. Oh my god. He was as freaked out by the sudden silence almost as much as he was by the voice itself. Mm. Ten minutes passed, but still nothing. Believing that the episode must have been over, he finally switched the recorder off. Oh, no. Put it back in the bedside table and went to lay back down. And that's when... As soon as his head hit the pillow, the voice came back. I would have noped the fuck out of this apartment so fucking hard. In a fucking second. As soon as the voice came back when my head hit the pillow, I would have been out the fucking door. Pants wouldn't even be on. No. I've like literally even seen my bare fucking ass going out that door. Like, bye. bye. No, thank you. Absolutely not. Kevin said he immediately thought, quote, oh no, this can only get worse. <gasps> End quote. Since it didn't seem like recording it was a possibility, he figured the only way he was going to get over this was to engage it. To see if there was any way to get over the fear. So, during a brief pause in the speaking, he said, hello. Sally's head turned towards him. Get the fuck out! Oh my god, oh my god. (gasps) Immediately. Clearly registering that someone had spoken. Get the fuck out. Then again, that same rapid fire, crazy weird ranting as Kevin described it. He was obviously still terrified, but he was also confused about what was happening. Various thoughts went through his mind, and at one point, he literally just thought, pack. Like, pack up everything immediately, get the fuck out of there. But again, he was quite taken with this girl, so packing up and running away in the middle of the night wasn't really an option. I literally can't even get a dude to text me back, and this dude won't leave a woman who's possessed. Yes. Uh, it's like, the 80s, Monique. Like, I, <laughs> no offense, but like, yeah. Yes, that's fair. That is fair, yes. <laughs> and even though like, just like piecing out seems like kind of a dick move, like I fucking get it, dude. Oh, no. Like after the second one, well, I'll give you the first one. The second time I'm out. No. The second that thing fucking like turned towards me, no. I, I literally out the door. I Bye. literally have left a dude's place in the middle of the night because he snored too much. I was like, I can't do I this. I can't do this. <laughs> like, so no, there's like no way demon, I'm like, demon talk while you're asleep. Get the fuck out of here. No, 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 thank you. And maybe that's why I'm single and whatever. I stand by my choices. <laughs> that's fine. There's no fucking way. There's no fucking way I'm sticking this. Fuck no. Moral of the story. Kevin Pollock is a better human being than I am. He's very, he's very brave. I'll give him that. I would not have stayed for this at no, all. Not no, not at all. There's... <laughs> What was the thing you said? She knows her way around a dick? <laughs> That's <how I> st- <laughs> Oh. <laughs> is this going to be like he wouldn't leave her even if she knew her way around a dick? Because, because she, he wouldn't leave her even though she's possessed because she... <laughs> <laughs> okay. A little backstory. <laughs> phrase earlier which apparently Monique has never heard but I I am convinced I definitely got it from my mom literally crying right now I don't think I came up with it I feel like I'm getting far more credit for the humor of this than I deserve in any way oh my god 
Um, uh, I don't even remember what we were talking about in the kitchen. That I who I was no referring part to. Part of his girlfriend. <laughs> I forgot that's what I was talking about. It was meant oh in the nicest way possible. But yes, I said that I'm sure she knows her way around a dick. Um, oh my god! Which my like, abs hurt. <laughs> to be fair, I think that's quite a compliment because I consider myself to know my way around a dick, and I consider that a compliment. So you're welcome. So, but <laughs> Kevin Pollock is leaving his possessed girlfriend because she knows her way around a dick. <laughs> oh my god! My story. Okay, even so if you, even okay. <laughs> Even if she knew her way around oh the dick, God. I would be so terrified that, like, while she was, like, whatevering me, she would make that voice, and then I would be like, no. Yeah. I can't. Maybe she gives a beach of a lifetime. She knows her way around the dick. <laughs> she just screams like that at the end. It's fine. It's fine. Oh, my God. I haven't done my abs in so long, and Girl, I nailed it today. Oh, my God. You just got your ab workout. Oh, my God. I'm literally crying. That was so funny. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love that so much. Continue to the serious yes. uh, possession story, please. So, <laughs> the next day, after what I'm sure was a very sleepless night, Kevin told Sally what had happened. She was understandably frightened and wanted answers, but with seemingly no way to record the strange voice, he wasn't sure what else to do to get answers. Since he was operating under the assumption that the voice belonged to some sort of entity independent of Sally, he decided to ask around her building to see if there was any history that might explain this strange voice. Oh shit, that's so smart. I wouldn't have thought of that. It was smart, yes. The only thing he was able to find out was that in the 1920s, there was a period of a couple of months where several untimely suicides took place in the building. Oh, well, after the crash? Oh, probably. Yeah. It doesn't say specifically, but that would make Stock sense. Stock market crash, 1929. Everyone was like, October 29th, 1929, hey. my birthday. Hey. And everyone was just like, I can't deal with this. I got off yeah, myself. I'm out. I'm done. While this unfortunate suicide cluster was definitely grim, there's nothing that specifically ties Sally's strange experience speaking in tongues to the suicides in the building, and as far as I know, none of them actually occurred in Sally's apartment. Without much to go on except for his own experience and the suicidal history of the building, Kevin believed that the most likely explanation was that, quote, a no longer living person was using Sally's body to communicate from another world. I end quote. can't even handle it. Girl. According to Kevin, the whole ordeal went on for about six months before he <gasps> and Sally finally went their separate ways. Oof. He said, quote, how we stayed together for that long during it, I don't know. Yeah. End quote. Because as much as he liked her, this was an absolutely terrifying thing to have to deal with on a regular basis. Especially when you're really the only one experiencing this because... Again, Sally has no recollection of this ever happening or what she's saying. And whenever at all. you try to record it, it knows. It knows and it fucking shuts the fuck up. And then when you're like, hello, it fucking looks at you and then screams gibberish in your face. Absolutely not. I wonder if he was like, I like you so much, but I like can't do this. Like in the breakup. I have so many follow up questions for oh the my story. God. Sally, if you're listening, hit a bitch up because. Is this still happening to you? I need to know. Are you married or with someone? Do they know? Do they say it's happening? I need, I have so many follow-up questions. Exactly what you said. Yes. 
I know. And I could not find like any articles or anything of him going into this or like maybe discussing it on one of his various podcasts Podcast. or anything. But I am very intrigued and I have a lot of follow-up questions. And I would love, love for him to do an episode about this. Oh, fuck yeah. That would be fucking phenomenal. Kevin said that even though he wasn't seeing a floating body in a room, this was a ghost story experience unlike he had ever heard before and one he wasn't interested in experiencing ever again. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the story of the time Kevin Pollock's girlfriend, Sally, might have been possessed by a ghost or maybe a demon. Who knows? I will leave it up to you to decide. Monique? Demon? Ghost? What do you think? Demon, for sure. Demon? Yeah. Right? The speaking in tongues is very... Yeah. Very sketch. I don't I mean, think it was the, just sleep talking. Well, that's up. the thing. If you look up exorcisms, it's it's the speaking in tongues. It's in other languages. It's never like Jeff from 4-H. You know what I mean? No. I mean, I have so many questions. Like, how did I this happen? I have so many questions. Why did it choose her? Yes. I literally had like a little list of just like me ranting questions to myself at the end of this. Also, since it didn't like being recorded, like, am I the one who just like had a recorder running in my room the whole fucking time? Yeah, I, that's what I thought. I would have been like, well, that's what's happening. Then. I was like, well, yeah, I'm going to keep this safe then and just better safe than sorry. Pop the recorder on before you go to bed. Thanks. See, but here's the thing. But what if you're like, you know, I'm a gentleman, so I'm going to turn it off when we engage in sexual congress. <laughs> <laughs> no, girl, I would listen to that back. Like, yeah. <laughs> and then it starts doing the voice oh of Bill. I girl, I don't know. I'm this is fucked up. Maybe he just would think she was really into it. Like, alright, I'm fucking giving it to her. Damn. It's like I gave her the deep dicking of her life. She literally (laughs) started speaking speaking in tongues. tongues. (laughs) Write that on your fucking Tinder profile. (laughs) That was amazing though. Thank you. I don't know. I had to have seen I've seen like You definitely have. Um that one is just like fucking it gets me. Because I get like the whole Okay, you like saw a shadow or you saw like a ghostie or like... There's a lot that you can like explain away. Yes. And even with this, like you can initially be like, oh, it's sleep talking, talking. but it's not though. It doesn't seem like it's... Sleep talking seems fairly innocuous for the most part. It seems pretty like... It's not completely understood, but like it seems like it has pretty clear like limitations. Yeah. For lack of a better word. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you so much. You know, and I know that we love a good celebrity ghost story. Fuck yeah. So I figured so you had good. too much aliens and I should uh You should throw back to the ghost. Yeah. I was like, I should do something for Monique this time. She did some so many nice things for me for my birthday. I should give her something that I know she will love. It was so appreciated. Good. I'm so glad you liked it. I did. It was amazing. Wow. Um, That's what I'm doing tomorrow. I'm watching yeah. that episode of Celebrity Ghost It's Stories. so good. And I honestly find him one of the most like reputable of the mm-hmm. celebrities who's on there. In that he's actually a celebrity. He's actually a celebrity. So Number one. Like, he didn't need Celebrity Ghost Story money. Yeah, absolutely. He was doing fine without this. And... He's just so matter of fact about it. And it, he has this like kind of attitude of like, if you don't want to believe what's happened, like that's whatever, fine. I'm telling you what the fuck but happened. But it happened. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I love that. Oh. And like I said, the reenactment of this one is actually like kind of terrifying. They're usually like, I chuckle at them because I'm like, <laughs> this is yeah, so the ridiculous. wig budget is non existent. Non existent. But like, whoo. Okay. The, oh. Her screaming and yeah, her like mouth moving is very. Okay. 
It's happening. I'm checking it out. Do it. It's so good. Yeah. It's so good. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope everybody enjoyed their celebrity ghost story for the week. I love it. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Take a little break from aliens. There you go. Hell yeah. It's okay because they're apparently stopping by all of the fucking time. So. Hell yeah. The thing I don't want to take a break from is the true crime, Monique. Oh. The murders. I got the you. Shenaniganry. The shenaniganry. Tell me, girl. There is so much shenaniganry in this. Oh, I bet. You will not be disappointed. You always pick a shenanigan filled ride. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to be talking about Kian Katibi. Sources WestchesterGuardian.blogspot.com, Law.umish.edu, New York Daily News.com, New York Times.com. And there's one source that I'm going to withhold until the end because it's kind of a spoiler. Oh, okay. Fun. In 1998, Kian Katibi was a 22-year-old college student from Pleasantville, New York. He was the second of five children, all of whom were one to one and a half years apart, which, fuck. Damn, all right. His poor fucking mother. Ouch. When Kian wasn't attending Westchester Community College, he worked as a waiter to pay his bills. On January 11th, 1998, Kian went some friends to Lock, Stock, and Barrel, a bar on Marble Avenue in Pleasantville, New York. Unbeknownst to Keon at the time, his older brother Kayvon and his brother's roommate Eric Freud were already inside the bar. Within 10 minutes of arriving at the college bar, there was a scuffle. Keon got shoved from behind, and when he turned around, William Boyar, a man who was shorter but stockier than the 5'9", 145-pound Keon, grabbed him by the collar, and started lifting him up. What? Kian pushed the stranger, harassing him away, and the bouncer, Nikabi, who was standing at the door, saw what was going on and grabbed Kian by the shoulder and told him that he had to get out of there and escorted him out of the bar. So Kian obliged and left the bar, and when he exited the bar, Nick told him that he knew Kian hadn't been the instigator, but that he was the smallest person and the one closest to him, and the bouncer had to get a grip on the situation. Kian waited outside for a friend to leave the bar, and when his friend didn't come out, Kian left and went to the 7-Eleven to get some coffee. At this point, Kian thinks to himself that all his friends that he came with, and who were his ride, are still inside the bar. At the time, Kian was living in Yonkers, and he's like, how am I going to get home? So Keon decides to walk back to the bar thinking that maybe he'll see one of his friends outside and he'll be able to tell them that he got kicked out because he doesn't even know if his friends know that he got kicked out of the bar. Oh, fuck. Okay. Yeah. And with any luck, maybe by the time he gets there, his friends would happen to be leaving too and he would be able to go with them to get a ride home. Because granted, this is 1998, so very few people have cell phones. Yeah. There are a handful of people who have pagers. But that's kind of it. If you get kicked out of a place or you can't go to a place and you're with your friends, like, they literally don't know where the fuck you are unless you tell them. Yeah. So meanwhile, back at Lock, Stock, and Barrel, football players William Boyar and Brian Duffy, who were from the next town over, were escorted out of the bar because they were harassing patrons. Oh, okay. And apparently this is just, like, town rivalry shit and football rivalry. Ugh. Like, what? who gives a fuck? I seriously, yeah. Yeah. So Keon's walking back to the bar and there's this huge parking lot on one of the sides of the bar and he sees a group there and he overhears yelling and screaming. And as Keon gets closer, he comes upon four men shouting and shoving each other. 
One of them was the man who had shoved him earlier at the bar, and the other was Eric Freud, again, who was living with his brother Kayvon. As Kian goes to walk past them, one of the men points at him and says, quote, hey, there's the guy from the bar, end quote. And Kian's just like, Ugh, is that like the guy who had me by the collar? Is that one of his friends? Like, he doesn't even fucking know because all of this was so quick that happened in the bar. Yeah. And it's like, if it's a normal bar, like, it's kind of dark in there, like... Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if you've ever been to a college bar, it's dark, it's packed... Body to body, yeah. 18-year-olds, like, it's it's a fucking nightmare. And Keon thinks to himself, quote, Geez, it wasn't enough that I just got kicked out of the bar. Now they're like, that's him, end quote. And I, I listened to a podcast where he was talking about this, and Keon is chuckling while he's recounting all of this. So... Keon steers clear around the group and to get to the sidewalk because he doesn't want anything to do with whatever the fuck is going on there. But the guy is still yelling and it looks like he wants to come after Keon. What the fuck? And again, Keon is 5'9", 145 pounds. (gasps) And these guys are football players. Yeah. Keon manages to pass them and Keon thinks, fuck it, fuck the ride. I'm out of here. I'm just going to go to the train station that's right across the street. He gets into the train station and he describes the train station as that you have to walk down the... It it almost sounds like a subway station. Like you walk down the stairs and you wait for the train. It's not an elevated platform like it is in Long Island or other places in New York. It's underground or at least below street level. And in all these stations, it's just kind of like concrete walls. And he still hears the screaming and the hollering that's echoing throughout the station. Oh, that's terrifying. So Keon, like, he starts to get nervous and he's afraid that they're going to come after him. And they're, yeah. they're going to they're gonna fight him. So he leaves the train station and positions himself right next to the Pleasantville police station door, which is on the other side of the train station. And Keon's like, okay, cool. I'm going to be here. You know, in case anything dicey happens. And when I hear the train coming, I'll just walk down and grab the train. Beautiful. Perfect. Fantastic. Okay, that's smart. Exactly. Keon is outside of the station waiting to listen to the train. And then he hears tires screeching. So he thinks that this is related to, like, the whole scuffle. And that maybe those people got in the car. And maybe someone was, like, out to beat someone up. And he just thinks that this is related and that they're coming after him. You know, even if it's like there's going to be a brawl between the towns because of like college football bullshit, you know, the town rivalries and whatever. And then he said that he heard a woman screaming. Oh my God. And Keon said that it sounded like it was out of a horror movie and his heart jumped out of his chest and he just ran into the police station. And the timestamps on the video surveillance showed that Keon went into the police station at 1.12 a.m. So he gets there, he speaks to the female officer behind the glass partition and tells her that he was coming down from the 7-Eleven down the road and that these guys were after him and he feared for his safety and was intimidated to wait by the train station alone because he was afraid that they might come and find him and try to fight him. And he asked the police if he could get a ride to the next train station. Because in Westchester County, which is where Pleasantville is, the train stations are about a mile apart. And the officer offered him water and told him that, yeah, absolutely, we could give you a ride to Hawthorne train station, no problem, just give me a second. Great, fantastic. And the podcast that I was listening to that Keon was being interviewed on, the podcast host that was interviewing him said, quote, 
All of this sounds very rational to me, actually. You're going to go to the police station for protection, end quote. To which Keon responds, quote, At the time, I thought it was too, but, you know, in hindsight, I see that every step I made was, apparently, a step towards the fatal results which occurred, end quote. <gasps> what? Mm-hmm. Girl, you set this up so well. I'm so intrigued right now. Thank you. Like, on the edge of my seat. Fuck. So Keon sits down drinking his water, and he feels safe. He did what he had to do to take care of himself. He'll get a ride to the train station and go home, and that'll be the end of that. At 1.17 a.m., the police received a call of a fight. And a minute later, the officer who said that they'd give him a ride comes back and says, Hey, listen, I can give you a ride, but... I got to go run. I got this other call that I have to do. And I don't know what time I'm going to be back. So basically, I can give you a ride, but you have to wait until I come back. And who knows when the fuck that's going to be. So like, good luck. Yeah. Yeah. So Keon thanks the officer who guns it the fuck out of the door. And Keon's like, well, there goes my fucking ride. And he has to get home. So he finishes his water and he gets up and he leaves. He goes to a friend's house and calls his sister who picks him up and drives him to Yonkers, which is where he was living. And Keon thinks that that's the end of it. Oh, God. It's never the end of it, Monique. It's never the fucking end of it. Meanwhile, the police officer who was going to give Keon a ride, as well as Officer DeMeo, arrived at the scene of the fight, a few doors down from the bar, and saw William Boyer and Brian Duffy walking down the street. Both were heavily intoxicated and bleeding. But only when an officer pulled up their bloody shirts did the two realize that they had been stabbed (gasps) repeatedly. What? Both men were taken to Westchester County Medical Center Hospital in Valhalla. Boyar, who was the man who had confronted Keon at the bar, was treated and soon released, while Duffy was hospitalized for nearly two weeks with life-threatening injuries. But he made it. Holy shit. Officers took note that Eric Freud, who was the roommate of Keon's brother Kayvon, was also at the scene. And because Pleasantville is a small town... Nothing stays quiet for long. So the next day, word gets out around that a couple people were stabbed at Lock, Stock, and Barrel. Almost a week later, on January 17th, 1998, Detective Sergeant Bonura and Detective Mazzi of the Pleasantville Police Department contacted Freud and asked him to come to the police station to talk about the incident. Freud agreed and met with Detective Sergeant Bonura and Mazzi, who attempted to get Freud to implicate Keon in the incident that had occurred on January 11th. When Freud resisted, Mazzy physically abused him for several hours in a cell at police headquarters in the presence of Bernura until he eventually signed a statement implicating Kian Katabi as the attacker in the January 11th incident. What? On January 28th, 17 days after the incident, Boyar and Duffy were brought in for questioning and shown a photo lineup that included Keon's picture. The interrogation was highly suggestive, with the police telling the victims that someone in the lineup was probably at the scene and was probably the one who stabbed them. They picked out Keon's picture simply because he was the familiar face. Fuck! The officer also showed up with a pre-printed declaration that they had identified Keon as the perpetrator. What? That's so grimy. It is so... That's so sketch. Holy what? fuck. Like, you are so a bad cop in every possible way, and you think you're doing the right thing, but this is horrendous. 
That's so fucked up and gross. I Mm -hmm. hate that. Yeah. It's important to note that neither Boyar nor Duffy had seen their assailant or even knew they had been stabbed. Damn. According to the- You're really drunk to not realize you're getting fucking stabbed. Well, wait for it. Okay. According to investigative notes by Officer Dennehy, both victims said that they were not sure what had happened. When Dennehy asked Duffy if he could describe any of the assailants, he said that he could not, but that he did remember a guy with a black eye. Boyer's alcohol content- was greater than 0.3. So 0.3 on a hospital test is the max. Like you can be more than that, but it's just going to clock. It won't even register. It won't register more than 0.3. And at 0.3, that's when you start to black out and lose consciousness. And at 0.3, you can fucking die of alcohol poisoning. Yeah. That's how fucking wasted you are. And for reference, the drunk driving limit is 0.3. Zero eight. <laughs> so if you're at point three, you're about four times the legal limit for driving. Insane. Like you're fucking wasted. Yeah. On January 28th, 1998, Kian was in Pleasantville down by the pizzeria, which was on the same block as the police department. Detective Mazzy caught wind that Kian was there and he approached him and told him that he had to come with him immediately to tell him what happened a couple weeks ago. And Keon's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, what are you talking about? And he goes on about what happened that Saturday night at the bar. So Keon tells him, I can't come with you right now. He's like, I have to go to work. But he gives the detective his card. And he's like, look, when you calm down, because the detective is agitated as fuck. He's like firing on all cylinders, like coming after Keon, who's like literally like, dude, I'm out of pizzeria. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, you walked up to me. Exactly. Minding my own fucking business. Yeah. And he's like, no, I... I literally have to go to work. Like, I can't fucking go to the, be interrogated at the police station right now. But here's my card. You know, if you calm down and make an appointment, I'll speak with you. But I have other shit to do right now. Yeah. And that pissed Detective Massey right the fuck off. Kian said he turned red. And then the detective said, quote, you don't want to talk to me? Then I'll write, fuck you. End quote. Which... Um, Hello? Excuse, you're a professional. You're, and you're on your fucking job. What the fuck? That's not a cute look for anyone. Not for anyone. And especially not for you. Not Especially not for a fucking detective? Yeah. What the fuck is this? Who's like already been abusing witnesses, correct? Exactly. And like badgering witnesses. Yeah. Cool. And then the detective jammed his finger into Keon's nose. Oh! Oh! Which, what the fuck? To the point that Keon said that it, like, stung. Like, that's how intense it was. And Keon's in shock. Like, what the fuck actually just happened? Finger out of my nose. Literally. So, Massey walks away, and Keon is, like, he's literally stuck in shock. Because he's like, I'm sorry, what the fuck just happened to me? Literally, what just happened? Yeah. So, he's there for a minute, processing, and then he walks away. And he goes home, and he goes about his day. He goes to work, blah, blah, blah. Fine, great. Also, that is, like, such a childish thing. Like, like what? How what? old are you? Literally. You're a grown-ass man. I don't want a cop sticking his finger anywhere. anywhere. Let No. What the fuck? Also, like, you can pick your friends and you can pick your nose, but you can't pick your friend's nose. Did you not know that? Did no one <laughs> learn that rhyme? Come on. Literally. Seriously. Literally. That was, like, elementary school. Yes. So... Keon contemplates making an appointment, but he hesitates because 
he doesn't want to face any more of that bullshit or any of that hostility. He's like, yeah, this guy was aggressive, like unnecessarily. Yeah. And I'm going to go and put myself in that situation. No, I'm not about that. Two weeks go by and his friends tell him that the cops are looking for him and that a warrant for his arrest has been issued and that they've seen it. Bitch, I gave you my card. You know where the fuck I am. Fucking literally. Call me and be like, um, yeah, hi, I wanted to talk to you, but like, also we do have a warrant for your arrest. So like, yeah, we need to talk to you. Yeah. And apparently he's showing it to all his friends. So his friends have actually physically seen the warrant. This is a weird power move that I just do not understand and I will never fully understand. Exactly. So Kian calls a lawyer and tells him the deal and the lawyer asks if he's seen the warrant and Kian's like, no, because if I did, I probably would be fucking arrested. arrested. I'm calling you. Yeah. Right. So Kian's like, how do we handle this? Do we call them? Do I turn myself in? So they arranged a date to turn himself in on the warrant and on the following day, on February 4th, 1998, Kian went and turned himself in and was immediately arrested for the stabbings. Oh, no. On May 28th, 1998, Kian was indicted on charges of assaulting Duffy and possession of a weapon. The grand jury did not vote to indict him for assaulting Boyar, and Kian was released on $5,000 bail and awaited trial, which wouldn't happen for another year. Now, here's the thing. If it's believed that you are a crazy... Like a violent person. A violent person. Yeah. You're not getting out on $5,000 bail. No, no. Like, certainly not. I would hope not. If they're letting violent criminals out on $5,000 bail, we have bigger issues. Right, because you are a threat to society. You might be a flight risk. Like, yeah, there's no way you're being let out on $5,000 bail. And the thing is that Keon believes that the bail was set so low because the judge saw the glaring weaknesses in the case. Oh, no. And I have a feeling it was not that somehow. Ugh. The trial wouldn't begin until February of the following year, which meant that trial prosecutor Eugene Clerken and certifiable piece of shit oh, great. had a whole year to work on the case. Uh, However, in this situation, working on the case meant destroying evidence, <gasps> suppressing evidence, uh, fabricating evidence, and coercing witnesses to testify against Keon. Of course, because this is the fucking of course. sketchiest fucking setup I've ever fucking seen. Literally, what the fuck? Kian went on trial in Westchester County Court in February 1999. His brother Kayvon told the jury that Boyar had instigated the incident inside the bar, but that Kian was ejected. Kayvon testified that he was at the bar, had six drinks, and had an altercation with one of the victims because one of the victims came up to him and pushed him out of the way to prevent him from talking to a girl, which... What? That's what what this was over? Apparently. This is why we can't have nice things, Monique. Fucking literally. Like, I'm sure that girl just wanted to, like, have a drink at the bar and just, like, not have anybody, like, bother her. And not void rage at her. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. And not accidentally instigate a fucking... Stabbing? A stabbing... Slash a fucking frame job? Jesus Christ. Kayvon said that when he left the bar, he did not see his brother, Boyer, or Duffy, and was not involved in the fight that left the two men wounded. Eric Freud testified that the statement that he had previously given was unreliable because he gave it only after Massey had assaulted him for several hours, and that he had told an assistant district attorney, whose name he couldn't recall at the time, 
the statement was not reliable because it was given under duress. Uh, yeah. Fucking yeah. Fucking no shit. Like, you literally assaulted it out of him, thanks. For hours. Oh my god. The police officer that Kian spoke to at the police station stated that when the call came in regarding the brawl, he ran out of the police station and that Kian ran out right after him and that they exited the police station at the same time. This testimony formed the basis of a prosecution argument to the jury that Keon's running out was a sign of his consciousness of guilt, which what, what the fuck are you talking about? What the fuck are you actually talking about? Also, if I'm operating under their assumption here, the perpetrator, quote unquote, of this crime as they believe it, committed this crime and then immediately ran to the police station. Yes. And then they get the call for the crime. The cop runs out and the perpetrator, quote unquote, as they know it, runs out with them. And they're like, yeah, this is the fucking guy. He's He's definitely guilty as fuck. Guilty as fuck. That's literally how they've pieced that together. That's what makes sense in their mind because it's opposite day, apparently. That's the stupidest thing I've ever fucking... No one who commits a crime runs immediately to the fucking police if they're trying to get away with said crime. Unless you were literally going to the police to be like, uh, yeah, hi, I did this and I fucked up so bad and I should not have done that. Literally. And these are people that this is their job to put that together. And that guy who ran out of the police station, who's the police, talked to him and knew he, like, was trying to get a ride and was, like, afraid of people coming to beat the shit out of him. And, like... They're like, oh, no, that clearly wasn't real and it was him making it up and blah, 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 blah. Bullshit. See this, Monique? Jerk off motion. Throw it right over everything. Literally. Yes. Literally for everything that's happening. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) At trial, Boyar stated that he was at the bar and was intoxicated. He said that he wanted to leave, but noticed Freud and that Freud had started some shit with him. Another person was off to his left. One was two feet away, but he was unable to describe them. Boyar and Duffy both testified and neither man could identify Keon as the man who stabbed them. But Duffy said that he believed Keon was his assailant. Additionally, the two-victim story was always changing. At trial, Boyar would change his story to say that he knew when he was stabbed, which was right before he briefly saw Keon. Duffy testified that he had only three or four beers, which contradicted the January 11th trauma admission assessment form by the Westchester County Medical Emergency Center, which stated that he had had at least 14 drinks. Yeah, I was going to say, um, I'm pretty sure you don't get a blood alcohol content of 0.3 for from three fucking four drinks. beers. Get the fuck Thanks. out of here. Go fuck yourself. Uh, by the way, like, I just drank three beers and I'm fine. Exactly. Thank you. Exactly. Additionally, Boyart did not know that he was stabbed until the officer told him that he was. That is still the craziest thing to me. That's how fucking like, wasted what? these people are. Right to the point that literally you can even be like, my shirt's all wet. Like, what's, what, did I spill something? Literally at no point. It was more the officer saw being like, um, why is there blood on your shirt? (laughs) Bleeding profusely. And lifted the shirt and was like, homie, you've been fucking stabbed. He's like, oh, what? What? Boyer said that he didn't know that he had been stabbed until the officer told him, which contradicted a deposition taken on January 28th, 2008 as the basis of getting an arrest warrant. In the deposition, he said he did know he had been stabbed. In investigative notes taken by Officer DeMeo, 
Both victims said that Eric Freud was there, but could not say if he stabbed them or was even fighting. Despite the numerous contradictions, Keon's attorney, Brian Stone, never utilized this information on cross-examination. What? At no point was he like, hey, you said this thing when you were interviewed and you're you're backtracking now. What the fuck? At no point did this happen. I mean, I'm not surprised because everyone is awful. Yeah, and this story is outrageous. Yeah. Yeah. While Keon believes he wasn't adequately represented during his trial, which uh, fucking yeah, obviously. Correct. He said, quote, there was a lot of problems there with the defense. At the same time, I have to say to myself, well, how can a defense truly be effective if all the evidence is being withheld from the defense? End quote. Yeah, or tampered with or whatever the yeah. fuck else they're doing. Fuck. Keon testified and denied any involvement in the crime. And on February 10th, 1999, Keon was convicted on both counts by the jury and was sentenced to 7 to 14 years. What? He's 22 years old at this point. No. And the podcast host who was interviewing Keon about his harrowing story was just fucking stunned. Like how, like how could this happen? He's yeah. like, you know, in, in my America and the America that I believe people, I live in. Don't go to jail. This doesn't happen. Yeah. To which Keon replied, quote, in your America, this doesn't happen. This type of behavior from police officers doesn't happen. That's what I was thinking too. And then after my arrest and during my trial, you know, all I keep thinking is, you know, there's no way that the jury would convict me or that this judge would allow this even to get to a verdict based on the evidence. And I know I'm innocent and I feel like this doesn't happen. You don't get convicted of things you didn't do. Not in my America, right? And the last thing I think in my mind is that everyone would simply jump on board and push my head under the water. That's the last thing I thought would happen. And the whole time I was in prison, I thought, surely someone will come with a helping hand and see the injustice that has occurred here. But, you know, that doesn't happen. You really can't ignore that oftentimes police and prosecutors have a motive to get a conviction, which doesn't always equate with justice. End quote. Oh Ugh. my God. That's so heartbreaking. Literally. Like my heart goes out to him. That's so awful. Yeah. That's so awful. And you're right. Like if that doesn't happen in. Of course not. It doesn't I happen. No. Except when it's happening Except to you. when it happens. Yes. After he was convicted, Keon's bail got revoked and he was sent to Westchester County Jail. And the conditions at county are very tough. You can't have visitors and there's no sunlight. Most people who are convicted are sent to county and relocated to the upstate prison in two weeks. Keon was at county for almost a year. What? Because of a clerical error and they fucking forgot about him. <gasps> He literally, like at eight months, called up his mom and was like, what the fuck is happening? Like, like I'm why still haven't... County, yeah. And she called and they're like, whoopsies, butterfingers, we forgot about him. That's why he's been at County for a year. Sorry. So the level of incompetence is like top to bottom so fucking outrageous. I like want to flip this fucking table. I can't even handle it. It is. Um, there's a part of me that 
is it incompetence? Because a lot of this was very intentional. Absol- yes, absolutely. So there's a part of me that wonders if this actually What's was the fuck you? a clerical error, quote unquote. Mm. Mm. No offense, but... I didn't even think of that. I've made some clerical errors in sure. my day. Sure, yeah. And I worked shitty secretary jobs. And like, there were, there were certain things that like, if I wanted a thing to happen, that could happen. Yeah. So, yeah. There's a part of me that really wonders whether that was... Just an intentional fuck you. Just an intentional fuck you. And especially since, like, all of these towns are super small. Yeah. And these stabbings were, like, the craziest shit that had happened in such a long time. It could have been, like, this is personal fuck you. I'm sure. Yeah. In July, Kian was sent upstate to downstate correctional facility, a maximum security prison. And he, in the podcast, he talked about how, like, really quickly you have to learn, like... The, the lays of the law yeah. type of thing. And how he talks about how super innocuous things could be perceived as weakness. Like something as ridiculous as like crossing your legs. Oh, because it's very feminine. Yeah. yeah. And then, and that I the. Say that. Or quote, it's very quote unquote. Quote feminine. unquote feminine, feminine. Feminine. And that just the homophobia in prison is so rampant. And even something like crossing your legs would make you a target. Yeah, I'm sure. And especially he's. Four, uh, five, five nine, nine one forty five. You say like that's, that's a small dude. Yeah. On his direct appeal, Keon's attorney argued that the verdict was against the weight of the evidence, in that the prosecution's own witness denied that the defendant was in a position to inflict the wounds. That he went to the police station for sanctuary right afterwards, and that a guilty party was not likely to do that. Fucking obviously. Thank you. Yes. And that the cops did not notice any blood stains on Kian's face, hands, or clothing, and nor scrapes or marks or anything indicating a person had been in a fight. Fucking obviously. Like, yes. If you get into a fight and you're going stab crazy, like, at minimum, you're having blood on you. At minimum. minimum. Yes. Unless you're wearing a fucking poncho and you rip that bad boy off and throw it in a dumpster. Like, this is like, yeah. is this like a snuggy poncho with like hand gloves and shit? Like, what the fuck? Seriously. And this didn't exist in 1998. So, no. There is no Snuggy Poncho with gloves. <laughs> Fucking Westchester Police Department. <laughs> what the fuck? Fucking ridiculous. Additionally, the fact that the victims were highly intoxicated surely impacted upon their reliability of the split-second identification. Yeah! The fact that they're, like, putting so much stock in these two fucking wasted Who guys. also... At no point, at no point were they like, he's the guy who stabbed me. Yes. Because they're like, I literally don't know. I'm trying to do an A plus B equals C because of what the cops have fed to me that it's him. But I literally can't actually point out that he's the one who did it. Yes. Because again, how would they know who stabbed them? They literally didn't know they were even stabbed. Fucking literally. That's how drunk they were. Literally. Keon's attorney also argued that the trial had been infected by prosecutorial misconduct in that the prosecutor, in effect, acted as an unsworn witness by saying to Keon while cross-examining him, quote, well, you had a knife, you could have protected yourself, end quote. Whereas Keon was like, I didn't have a knife and was not part of this altercation at the fuck all. Yeah. But how dare you, sir? Literally, how fucking dare you? Oh, the audacity of these fucking people. I really can't get over this. 
And this is like 1998. It's not that long ago. And this is like Westchester County is bougie as fuck. Yeah. This is not like to be super trite. It's like this doesn't happen in places like this. Except it fucking Fucking does. And you don't know what does until it happens to you. And that's the thing that's so nefarious and so fucked about all of it. The appellate division ruled that the verdict was not against the weight of the evidence and the rest of his issues were not preserved or were without merit and Keon's conviction was upheld. In 2006, he was denied parole because he refused to admit his guilt. Uh... And when I hear stories of that, because you know you can get out if you just say you did the thing, (sighs) even though you know you didn't do it. You're not going to do it. You're not going to do it because you're like, I didn't do this. I didn't fucking do this. And my word means something to me. Like, Absolutely. Fuck. The uh, only thing a man has in this world is his word. His word and his name. If you've seen The Crucible or read it, it's a whole, it's like one of the last scenes and it's fucking gorgeous where he's like, okay, I'm going to totally say that I was a witch and a warlock to like get off from being hanging. You just need to, I'm just going to sign my name here. And he's like, I can't though, because it's my name. And it's the only one I'll ever have. It's so fucking real. And like, and you hear about this a lot of people being like, no, I know I could get off if I just said I didn't. I know I would get less time if I admitted to the thing. But I'm not. But I'm not going to because I didn't do the thing. On principle, I cannot. I cannot. And I can't have everyone thinking that I did the thing that I didn't do because I didn't fucking do it. Even though it means I could get out much sooner. And it breaks my heart whenever I hear it. During his incarceration, Keon filed numerous petitions and dozens of Freedom of Information Act requests, all aimed at obtaining information proving his innocence. On November 17, 2007, during a Katabi family dinner, Keon's father, George, remarked on how much he missed Keon and how he wished that he was there and especially Thanksgiving was a week away and it was going to be another Thanksgiving without his son. And at that moment, Keon's brother, Kayvon, started weeping and admitted that he was in fact the culprit and that it was he and not Keon who at that point had spent eight years (gasps) in prison. What? Had stabbed both men. What the fuck, Monique? Girl. Eight years? And it was his fucking brother this whole fucking time? Yeah. <gasps> That's a dick brother move. Literally. Unforgivable. Eight years. Bro code, dude. What the fuck? Seeing your family suffer, seeing your brother suffer. Oh, knowing he was innocent and knowing... And knowing you fucking did it. And knowing... Like, not even knowing, imagining what the fuck he's going through in a maximum security prison. I somehow didn't see this coming, even though I probably should have. And... Because it's wild. And that's not how it should... It's insane. And also, it's just like, family's supposed to be there for you. Like... They're supposed to be, yeah. It just... uh, Trust me. I Trust me. We're in the true crime business. We know families fuck each other over more than anybody else. We're aware, but, but like, this is outrageous. Oof. He said that he and his roommate, Eric Freud, had been involved in a different fight earlier on the same day of the crime. 
He said that he took a knife with him to the bar for protection. After the stabbing, Kayvon said he threw the knife away, which was never recovered. Kayvon had been battling drug addiction for many years and had recently been released from rehab. He told his family that he did not come forward with the truth because he feared going to prison. Uh, like your brother? Fuck you. Uh, at least you'd be going to prison for a crime that you actually committed. Thanks. Yeah. Instead of your brother, who was innocent, and went to a prison for you, you fucker, without knowing that he went to prison for you, and without offering to go to prison for you. Literally. It's <sighs> infuriating. The next day, Keon's father went to the prison and told Keon what had happened <gasps> the night before. Oh my god, I just got like double waves of chills back to back. I cannot even imagine. I and also like, imagine. what the fuck? From a parent perspective. Oh my god. I don't even know. I don't want that job. I'd be like rock, paper, scissors with the other parent to be like, I'm not fucking going. You're go-. like, whoever loses, you have to go. Because you have the heartbreak of your son has been sent away. And I don't know if his parents ever believed Keon or not, or if they were like, he probably did it. Uh, heartbreak. And then only to have it be like, no, no, no. It's our other son who's a sack of shit and did this oh. to his younger brother, mind I you. I forgot he was younger too. This just gets fucking worse and worse. Literally. When asked how he felt when his father told him that it was actually his brother who had committed the crime for which Keon had spent eight years in prison for, Keon said, quote, In the beginning, for at least a few months, it was just relief. It was just relief. You know, I was sitting there stuck in prison and I couldn't, I just couldn't figure out why I'm there or how the state could have so much power over an individual's liberty without providing enough circuit breakers, enough safety nets, you know, and I'm still there. End quote. Kian could finally see a light at the end of the tunnel. Based on this confession, a motion was filed to vacate Kian's convictions and in July 2008, a hearing was held. Kayvon took to the witness stand, but asserted his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination, because go fuck yourself, and declined to testify about the confession. Family members, however, <laughs> testified to Kayvon's confession. We're like, yeah, hi, uh, even though he's going to keep his mouth shut, I'll say whatever the fuck he just said. Yeah, thanks. Like, hi... I was there, and he's a sack of shit. Yeah. He actually did all of this. Following the hearing, Keon's conviction was vacated, and a new trial was ordered based on Kayvon's confession, as well as other evidence that developed during the hearing. On September 23rd, 2008, Keon, who at the time was at fucking Sing Sing. Oh my god, Because girl. granted, he's a convicted violent felon. Yeah, Jesus. Like, it doesn't matter whether he did or not. He's a convicted violent felon. Oh, that's so, so yeah. Dumb. But he didn't, and he's only... Exactly. He's, he, I mean, he's not a baby anymore because it's been eight fucking years, but he was a baby when he went in. Like, come on. He's at 22? fucking Sing Sing. Oh, that's so... That's so terrifying. I couldn't even imagine. No. So he was at Sing Sing, and he had been called down to White Plains for a court appearance. While a retrial had been ordered the prosecutor stepped up and said that they would not oppose Keon's immediate release. And on September 23rd, 2008, Keon's 33rd birthday. Oh my God. Judge Barbara Zambelli vacated Keon's conviction and ordered him released immediately without bail. 
Keon remembered being in a state of total disbelief. Keon asked his lawyer if he could stand up, and the lawyer told him yes. So Keon stood up, and he asked the judge, quote, Your Honor, I can leave, end quote. And the judge said, yes, you can leave. And he turned around to the officers who escorted him into the court and asked, quote, I can go out those back doors, end quote. And they said yes, and Keon just couldn't believe it. He kept asking over and over again if he was free to go, if he could go out that door because it was just so fucking unreal. Like, he had spent eight years of his life just being part of the system. You can't do this. You can't do that. You have to fucking ask to piss. You have to ask to do everything. Yeah. And they're like, no, it's cool. You can go. And the whole reason he ended up there is because he technically, like, got tricked by authority figures. Exactly. So to then have to, like, believe them that you actually are free when you should have been free all along and they're the ones that put you here. Exactly. Is like, I can't even process the mind fuck that that must have been. Absolutely. Jesus. His family was in the courtroom when this went down and they just started sobbing tears of joy. And Keon remembers walking over to them and telling them not to cry and that, you know, this is a beautiful moment and to just be like happy. I've literally had like nonstop. I've had like six chills for this, like this one section right here. You're like really getting me. And, you know, and Keon tried to be strong for his family and tried to not cry So he got up and left the courthouse a free man for the first time in, realistically, nine years. He was still wearing his state-issued clothing, which consisted of jeans that were two sizes too small and a beige sweater, which they give you to, like, appear in In court. court, yeah. Upon leaving the courthouse, his sisters took him to the mall to get a pair of jeans. And he said that they were picking out all these jeans. And he was like, oh, these these are too tight for me. Because his style was outdated. Because the last time he shot for jeans was 10 years earlier. And he didn't realize skinny skinny jeans jeans were in. in. Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Beyond coping with his filial betrayal, he was freed from prison with only the pocket cash he had when he was arrested and without identification, which left him initially unable to apply for a credit card, a bank account, or assistance from the welfare office. Wow. Which, those are things you just don't think about. No. until And it's like, oh, no, you're, like, actually super... Like, I know you're out now, but you're super fucked. Yeah. Good, good luck. So good luck with that. Yeah. Bye. Our hands are, like, clean now. Like, yeah. you're on your own. On December 2nd, 2008, the Westchester District Attorney's Office dismissed the charges. After his release, Keon transferred from Westchester Community College to NYU's Steinhardt School of Education and completed his undergraduate degree as a media, culture, and communications major. On May 18, 2011, Keon graduated with honors from NYU, and in 2012, he was accepted as a law student at Benjamin N. Cardoso School of Law, which is the home of the Innocence Project. Also, he received substantial scholarships for both schools. Good. Chills, again. Like, I've had nonstop chills through this, like, whole story, pretty much. Keon passed the New York State Bar Exam and established a law practice in New York City where he works as a criminal defense attorney. In 2010, Keon Katabi filed a federal wrongful conviction lawsuit against the village of Pleasantville and the two police officers who investigated the crime. Fuck yeah! The lawsuit charged that the officers rigged Duffy's identification of Keon, 
who was so intoxicated he couldn't remember much of what happened that night by presenting Duffy with a photo lineup that included Keon's photo along with a pre-printed declaration that he had identified Keon. The lawsuit charged that the officers suppressed the videotape of Keon entering the police station at 1.12 a.m. because the fight was reported at 1.17 a.m. <gasps> Those motherfuckers. Those motherfuckers. Mm. They also punched Freud during an interrogation to get him to implicate Jesus. implicate Keon in the fight and threatened the bouncer with future trouble if he did not say he saw Keon walking down the street to confront Boyar and Duffy outside the bar. The lawsuit also alleged that not long after the crime, Kayvon had told the police that he and not his brother was involved in the fight and that the officers threatened him and told him to keep his mouth shut and did not make a record of his statement. In a I just don't understand why they were so insistent on this. I, like, literally, this guy is confessing. You have the person. Why is this the hill that you want to die on? I, like, I don't know. They're just like, they're so tunnel vision about it of like, this is the guy. They it, just like, decided and then they're like, I'm going to make this bit. A lot this of this reminds guy. me of the West Memphis 3 case of like all of the evidence there, it was just not possible that this happened and they had evidence pointing to other people, but they like the hill they wanted to die on was these three kids did it because they were fucking weird and they drew pentagrams on their shit. And that was a fucking death penalty case. Crazy. And just it, so crazy. I just, there's like, you think there would have to be some sort of like checks and balances of or course. something yeah. that like, why this guy of all, like, especially like his brother literally confesses to this. Like what the fuck? What the fuck? In addition, the lawsuit charged that police recovered a bloody hat and shirt from the scene, but never booked them into evidence or submitted them to the crime laboratory for analysis. In February 2012, the New York State Court of Claims found that Keon had proven his innocence and the claim was settled for $2 million and the federal lawsuit was settled in 2018 for $5 million. Good for him. Yeah, he lost his 20s. Yes. For something he didn't do, where all of the evidence proved otherwise, and you just had a fucking hard on for this dude. Yes. What and the fuck? Guess what? I can guarantee you all of those people had their jobs for the whole time he was in prison and were continued to get paid and make Absolutely. money. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. yourself. Keon also cut all ties with his brother, who could not be tried for the crime since the five-year statute of limitations had expired. No. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Which to me is like like the worst of all of it. Yeah, that's pretty fucked. Keon said, quote, You can never get back the time you lose, but I've tried to work harder so I can make the best out of a bad situation. I can't say where I'd be if this didn't happen, but I'm going to keep going forward. End quote. In addition to being a criminal defense attorney, Keon joined the world of hospitality and in the fall of 2020, opened a restaurant in New York's South Street Seaport. And how I know about this story is that I currently work for Keon. What? Yeah. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Basically what happened. Tell me everything. Like, Josh, like, I'm not responding because I'm freaking the fuck out. I've been freaking the fuck out this whole fucking story. I, like, could not handle my shit. What? Yeah. So 
similarly to Meghan Markle, I did not Google this dude at all. Like, I was like, okay, I'm working at this place. Fine. Cool. And Keon's a little, like, keyed up. But it's like, okay, whatever. That's, like, your thing. Fine. Yeah, cool. It's New York. Yeah. It's all kinds. Yeah. Yeah. He owns a restaurant. I, you know, I bartend at this restaurant. He owns it. He's there all the time. And, he, you know, he's a little keyed up. But, you know, it's New York. People are eccentric. Whatever. Who gives yeah. a shit? And I was working one day and some guy came barreling through. And this is a very like bougie posh restaurant. And some guy came barreling through the restaurant being like, I uh, need to see Keon. And I was like, okay. So I go to the kitchen and I'm like, hey, Keon, some dude's here for you. He didn't give his name, but he was like very insistent on talking to you. Whatever. They have their conversation. And and also at this point, I didn't even know Keon was a lawyer. I just know that he's the owner of this restaurant. restaurant yeah. And... They talk, whatever. The guy leaves. At some point, Keon comes to me. He's like, oh, that's a guy I know from prison. And, you know, he's he's a nice guy, but he's, you know, kind of always asking shit for me. Whatever. And the way he said it, it didn't occur to me that Keon knew him because he had also been in prison. Like, you thought maybe he, like, worked at the prison or something. I have no idea. I, I don't even know. Okay. It didn't even register. I was like, oh, facts. Cool. Great. Yeah. And I'm also like, Keon's a little weird. So yeah. And also, like, my parents know everyone from all walks of life. So, like, maybe he's one of these dudes. Who yeah. the fuck knows? And he's just sharing this information with me. Great. I'm going to go and make seven dirty martinis that just came through. Fantastic. Amazing. And then a couple days later, I go to the restaurant to pick up my check. I'm not working. And if you work in hospitality or bar life, it's very, like, well, we're going to take care of you. We're going to give you all the drinks and you're not going to fucking pay for it. I'm like, great, amazing. I, I came here to pick up a check and go about my day and it's two in the morning. I'm still fucking here getting wasted. Fantastic. Uh, and a bunch of the bartenders who are there who aren't working, who are also just there like dicking around. Yeah. And, you know, I haven't been working at this place very long and so I'm meeting some of the bartenders for the first time. We go to the place next door and we start talking about Keon. And I was like, yeah, you know, he's like an interesting dude. And I was like, this weird thing happened a couple days ago. And he's like, oh, yeah, like Keon was in prison for like a decade because he was accused of a stabbing that he didn't do. And it turned out it was his brother. And I was like, I'm sorry. What the fuck? What? And then I looked it up. And sure enough, holy fucking shit, dear. Yeah. I'm blown away. I wish you guys could see my face right now because, like, I can't handle this at all. Yeah. For one second. I have, like, no cool and no chill about this. Yeah. And the the source that I was withholding was the Wrongful Conviction podcast. Bam. Boom. Wow. Yeah. I'm glad you withheld that because that, yes. It would have been very anticlimactic. Yes. Yeah. That's fucking insane. Yeah. What a crazy small world it is, really. Yeah. Absolutely. And then when I found all that out, I'm like, oh, I get it. I yeah. Mean, yeah. This all makes sense. Yeah. I think you're surprisingly well adjusted, actually. For Even someone who went to Sing Sing. Fuck. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah. Holy fuck. Yeah. Did you mention this to him at all? No. Okay. And uh, I wonder if he's one of those like me who has a Google alert on his name and it's just going to pop up and he's going to be like, um, why... Someone who has my bartender's name (laughs) has a podcast and they're talking about me on it. Um, Interesting. What a quinky dink. Yeah. Well, we'll find out. We're going to find out if I get fired next week. I was like, (laughs) you guys will tell about the episode. Yeah. That was was so fucking good. Thank you. It was too crazy of a story to not 
Oh, yeah. Bring up. Like, holy fuck. No, that was fucking insane. And the fact that you have a personal connection to it, I feel like. Yeah. Makes it so much more impactful. Yeah, because, like, I was listening to this podcast. It's that kind of weird meta thing of I'm listening to this person talk about this. And I'm like. This is my boss. Like, I, I, like This is my boss. Yeah. Like, I know his voice. Like, that's him. Like, that's. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's that thing of. You never know what people are going through or what they've gone through. It's so true. Truly. It's I was just so like, true. oh, this is some dude who is like. He's been in the restaurant business. He's in the restaurant Try. business. He has a fuck ton of money. Yeah. Some bougie restaurant in the seaport. Cool. No. I know I know he your has type. seen some shit. He has fucking been through it. Yeah. Yeah. More than most people will ever experience in their life. Or even comprehend. Comprehend. Absolutely. Correct. That was so amazing. I really Thank can't you. get over it. Yeah. Fantastic job. Thank you so much. I'm I'm touched. I got a little overclumped in that one, which I don't yeah. usually. Yeah. I felt that you did, and then I started to, and then I was like, get it <sighs> so together. we pulled it together? Get it pulled together. We did. No tears fell, but like I did get a little, little much. And that was seriously like, for a not scary story, that was like- Terrifying. Back-to-back chills nonstop for me. Because also- it just shows that this could happen to anyone. Like, yeah. It doesn't matter if you commit a crime. Yeah. You just have to hope you're not accused of committing one. And there was just something so fucked up about the fact that, like, not only was he betrayed by these authority figures, but he was betrayed by his, his own fucking family. brother. Like, oh, gets me. Gets me so I bad. Don't. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. Yeah, because... So, full disclosure, we're recording much later than we usually do because I was like, I need more time on this. Because I was trying to oh, find... Oh, had to do justice. Because I was like, I, like, what the fuck happened to the brother? Like, yeah. so is he in prison? Like, what's happening? And they're like, no, he got away with it. Scott free. I thought you were going to end that with like... And so I just was like, fuck it, I can't find this. And I texted my boss. I was like, hey, what the fuck happened to your brother? Oh my God, no. <laughs> I was like, damn, you're ballsy, Monique. Oh my God, no. Uh, that is not... <laughs> that did not At happen. no point was I like... While I'm in between making these signature cocktails, hey. what was prison life like? Really and it was down. interesting because it was my niece's birthday and I had shown up to the restaurant half an hour early so that I could FaceTime with her. And my the general manager uh, was outside smoking a cigarette and overheard my conversations with them. And they're, they're six and seven and they're very silly. And I was just like, I have to go, you know, I, I have to leave in a few minutes because I have to go to work. And they're like, well, stop working. And I'm like, well, I, I don't think my boss would like that very much. And, you know, they're like, why? I'm like, because I get fired. And they're like, well, we'll pay you. And I was like, how much are you going to pay me? And they're like, $100. And I was that's like, well, enough. that's not enough. <laughs> it's not rent. And sweetie, so, so my, my manager and Keon were hearing my side of the conversation and uh, the manager was like, what? Like, I'm sorry that I was overhearing it. It was just so cute. Like, wh- who are you talking to? I was like, oh, my nieces, blah, blah, Aww. And at this point, I had known that Keon had been in prison for something he didn't do and that his brother had done it. Okay. But you had not done the research for the story. No, no, no. Okay. No, no, no. I just knew, like, that. Of that, the, yes. That very, like, Reader's Digest headline gotcha. aspect of it. So the manager was very kind and he's like, you know... Of course, like, you know, whenever, if you need to take a call with your family, like, of course, like, we, that's totally fine. Like, family comes first, and all of this we're doing for family. Like, we do all of this for family. And he looks over to Keon, and he's like, right? And I I know, 
that yeah. I know this crazy, unimaginable betrayal has happened. And I'm like, what the fuck is he going to respond to this? And he kind of gives like a, a little bit of a wishy-washy answer because obviously. Yeah. It's a it, different story for him. It's completely. a very different story. Yeah. Like it's like, yes, however, blah, 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 blah. And I was just kind of like, oh my God, like your brother sent you to the clink for a decade for something he did. Dude, family fucks you up more than anybody else in this world. I swear to God. Absolutely. Uh, you know better Girl. than anybody. <laughs> Absolutely. <sighs> Fuck, dude. Yeah. Keon, you're amazing. Yeah. I really can't get over this. That was such an amazing story. Thank you. I mean, Keon's clearly amazing with yeah. like how I don't even know how you could last that long. I like it fucking no. sinks. I, I like I'd be like, it's a rat, man. No one's coming for me. I, I need to check out. Like I, I to be super trite of like the triumph of the human spirit, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and he was booked on seven to fourteen years. He he'd served most of it. Crazy. That like of course every day out matters and is precious, but it's almost like at that point who even gives a fuck? He could have just served out his scent. You know what I mean? Like Yeah. Especially, like, you hear so many people of, like, getting off on reduced sentences and shit. Bill fucking Cosby got out after two years when he admitted to raping over, drugging and raping over 50 women on a fucking technicality. What the fuck? Like, oh. And and, and this poor dude, this poor 22-year-old fucking child. Innocent child. I can't even express that enough, yes. Who wouldn't get released on parole because he wouldn't admit to something he didn't do served nine fucking years eight years so crazy Ugh, it's wild you're right that is wild that's fucking crazy i i can't get over it. that's gonna haunt me that's gonna yeah, haunt me this this week. is this is a tough one yeah for sure. it haunts you in a different way yeah because it's that thing of like trust yeah. no bitch trust no bitch and it's that thing, you can go your whole life never committing a crime. That doesn't mean you're not going to get convicted of one. Yep. And that's, as the podcast host was saying, that doesn't happen in my America. Yeah. Except it fucking does it all does. of the fucking time. I'm sorry. And I know that Keon was representing a dude pro bono who has a very similar case to his. Oh, really? And it's still like ongoing and he's trying to get it vacated. Fuck. Yeah. Well, good luck. My heart goes out to him. Yeah. And, and if you have any, any extra cash, donate to the Innocence Project. Yeah, fuck yeah. They do yeah. fucking great work. Yeah, they do. Fuck yeah. Because people don't always get it right because their fucking egos are in the way. Yes. Yeah. Or whatever weird bias they have going. I don't even know why Who the they fuck knows? targeted him so, so intently, but fuck. Yeah. Again, so amazing. Just phenomenally done, Monique. Thank you so much. Yeah. As always, I mean, you never disappoint. Literally never I mean, fucking likewise. Yeah. You brought the celebrity ghost stories. I'm a fucking happy camper. Yeah. Kevin Pollock. Fuck, Kevin Pollock. Dude, I wouldn't want to deal with that shit. No, I'm watching it tonight, for sure. And not sleeping, (gasps) clearly. so good. (laughs) (laughs) You can text me at two in the morning when you're like, um, the reenactment actually is really scary. And I don't like this chick, thanks. I'm very excited for yeah. it. Hell yeah. Fuck yeah. It'd be like a little palate cleanser to 
the infuriating fucking wrongness of that whole story. Yeah, pick yeah. a thing to be... Pick, yeah, pick, pick a, a thing. thing. There's so many fucking <laughs> things to be upset about. Pick one. Let us know which one is the most infuriating to you. Because <sighs> what the fuck? I just... I'm happy he's free. I'm yeah. happy he got all that fucking money that he fuck more yeah. than... He more than deserved that, so... Yeah, seven mil. Yes. Fuck and yeah. he continues to pay it forward by... Helping others who has been in his exact situation, which is truly beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah. It's fucking rad. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Please follow us on the gram. You can find us at another fucking horror podcast. You can find me at Pinup Girl Mo. You can find me at Lobotomy, and that's Lobot period Amy. Please send us your personal stories. We do a True Listener Tales episode every sixth episode, and we love reading your crazy shit. Literally, I don't even give a fuck at this point what it's about. Oh, no. The weirder, the better. Like, I'm kind of excited for the ones that, like, aren't the typical weird story. And it, like, throws me for a loop. I'm like, I didn't even, this didn't even cross my mind. That fuck this yeah. This could be a possibility for a weird story. Fuck yeah. So, email us at anotherfuckinghorrorpodcast at gmail.com with a period instead of the U and fucking. Um, please tell your friends about our show if you like it and please rate review and subscribe it really helps us out with advertisers and gives us more visibility so that one day even though I very much enjoy working for Keon I cannot work for him and just do this and give you more of the content that you love keep it cute guys keep it creepy bye, bye.